Mark 12 is where we'll be this morning if you want to head that direction. You may recall that uh, Mark 11 began um, the final week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. Picked up with uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and there was Monday, and then we spent a lot of time on Tuesday. And Tuesday is known as a day of controversy for Jesus. And it's because these religious leaders keep coming up to him, and they keep trying to to throw these curveballs at him. They ask him these questions, trying to trip him up, trying to get him to say the wrong thing or offend the wrong group of people so they can arrest him and ultimately have him killed. Uh, and this interaction today is with one of the scribes. And so a scribe was kind of a, they were a lawyer, but they were also kind of a theologian because the law uh, in, in Judaism involved all the social stuff that we think of laws. You know, we think of like speeding and murder and like those kinds of like do this, don't do this type stuff. And in, but in Judaism, it also had all everything in terms of like wh- what to do as like far as worshiping the Lord. And so it was a mixture of theology and then what we, what we would think of as like legal understanding. So they're kind of theologian lawyer people. And um, one of them comes up to Jesus. He's been obviously watching um, all everyone try to trip him up. He's been very impressed with his answers. And so he decides to go up and ask him, uh, ask him a question. So let's pick it up, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And uh, seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay, so let's let's stop right there. No commandment greater than these. Now, to ask Jesus which is the greatest commandment, it's a fantastic question, and here's why. Uh, There are 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible. We tend to think of um, Charlton Heston holding the two giant tablets, right, with the Ten Commandments on them. But we tend to think of that uh, as if there are only ten, but there are really 613. Those were just like the top ten type thing. And so uh, there's a lot. and, And by commandments, we're talking about the laws, talking about the... Like, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. In this situation, handle it this way, those kinds of things. So that's a lot to sift through. Then you had the rabbis who had their own oral tradition uh, in something called the, called the Mish, Mishpa, Mishnah. Sorry, uh, a lot of Jewish words in my week this week. Uh, the Mishnah, and there were like 1,500 uh additional laws and variations and amendments and things like that based on what the rabbis were saying. So that's just like 2,000, 2,100 things to try to keep straight. So it was very common for the scribes to want to go to the rabbi and say, hey, if you had to sum them all up, like is there one that kind of encompasses all the rest? This is a commonly asked question uh, and a very good one because of that amount of volume. And and so Jesus' response, he quotes the most the most known of them all. Um, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's known as the Shema. And this prayer is prayed every morning and every evening. Um, and so it was very, very familiar 
to them. Everyone would would have known exactly what was being said. And so let's let's just walk through this uh, for a few minutes. Which, if you're like, hey, wait, we did this recently in August. Also went through this same text, um, but the Deuteronomy version of it. So look at verse twenty nine. He says, starts off. He says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." So the word "hear" uh, that's that's not just. Um, you know, hey, make sure you hear what I'm saying. It's it's like when your mom would be like, "Boy, you better listen." <laughs> That's how she said it to me. Uh, it's it's not just hear what I'm saying. It's also do what I'm saying. It's a combination of hearing and, and obedience together. So, boy, you better listen, Israel. <laughs> uh, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, monotheism, uh, there being only one God, that was that was unheard of. Uh, at this time, especially in this part of the world, and so Jerusalem was occupied by Rome. Rome had all the all the Roman gods that we study in school and all that kind of stuff. We know all that the history and all that. So, uh, so polytheism was very common. Monotheism was unheard of. So Israel stood out among the other nations in that regard. They're like, well, why why have uh, they're like why have one god when you can have a thousand gods? Um, and I say, well, I have a thousand, you can have one. That's way easier to keep up with, right? So they, 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 were, they stood out among all the other nations in that regard. Um, so there's only one God, and he has a very specific agenda that was quite different from the others. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The agenda of this one God is love. Now the other gods... They had that there were there were other agenda. Now we know that they were fake, but within those mythologies, they had uh, they were demanding very different things. Uh, this God is like, I want you to love me because I love you. This this was radically different than everywhere else. God's like, I've called you to something different, and this is a reflection of the of His character. Um, God is holy love. So, what does He want? Uh, like, what does He want that relationship to look like? Love, and and so uh, the description of heart, soul, mind, strength—that's not talking about four different compartments of your life, um, or four different angles of your life. A part of what He's saying in, in, in having those four things is like, you're, look, you're you're a complex uh, mess of things, right? Great things, difficult things. There's a lot going on with, with within you. Um, so he says, love God, uh, like love, like choose to be devoted to God, uh, with your heart. And by that, like that word is talking about your, your thoughts, your emotions, uh, our choices, our will, our decisions, you know, like, like the, that's like the, the, the wellspring within us. And like everything kind of like stirs in here and it works its way out of our lives. It's from your from your heart, he's saying, choose to be devoted to God with with all of your heart and all those things, all your thoughts, all your emotions, all your will, all that stuff. Um, it says with all with all your soul, do the same thing. That's the the soul is that immaterial part of you that will live forever. Uh, it is the it's it's the it's the Zoe life. It's the the energy of God. It's it's all the things that like pushes your passions and all the things about you um, that God loves so very much. And he just wants to unleash into your life. Uh, all of those are 
designed to be things where we love God. He says to love God with your mind. Um, that is exactly what you think it is. It's your, it's our understanding. It's our comprehension. It's our logic. Um, that with, with, with every, in every way we are capable of understanding who God is, we have to pursue that. Um, that we are to give ourselves to him holistically in that way. Um, and, uh, with all your strength, that's like our physical body. Yes. Um, but it's also like what, with that physical body, what do you do? So if, if with your physical body, you're pouring yourself into a career, then that is to be a loving expression to God. If, if with your physical body, you are a parent, you're to parent with, uh, like that is to be a like loving expression to God. If you're a student, if you are, I mean, anything that you're doing, um, and what, what is, is happening here is, is not so much, like I said, it's not a formula. It's not like, let me make sure all the boxes are checked. It's more saying, look, the, the sum of all those things going on within, inside of you, everything with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, all those things working together, all of that uh, channels together and manifests into one single thing, and that is love. God just made you to do one thing, really. It looks different with all of us. It looks different in different aspects of your life, but the sum of all those parts is love. It's kind of beautiful when you think about it. And so he's saying, yeah, you got 613 laws. And the rabbis have like piled on that, you know, 1,500 more. How about this? How about you recognize that all of those laws are just expressions of this one big thing. All the things God's telling you to do or to not do and how to handle this situation, all of, all of those things are just variations on this one commandment. These are all ways that you love God. But they can all be boiled down to that one thing. All of that points to it. And then because Jesus is awesome and is like, hey, I'll give you the second one too, okay? even though you didn't ask. Uh, the second one is like it. And then he quotes Leviticus 19. He says, the, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, like a, lot of, like a lot of you, I grew up in the South, and I grew up learning the great, the, the, the great commandments, love God with all that stuff, and love your neighbor as yourself. And always, like until, until adulthood, really thought like that means like love, love other people as much as you love yourself, like that, that self-love that we all have. Um, that's not what he's talking about. If you read Leviticus 19, the whole, the whole section is on uh, things like justice, like to those who are marginalized, to those who are mistreated, to those who are, are uh, traveling as foreigners and they're like, co- like coming through your land. It's about hospitality. It's about welcoming in the stranger. And so love your neighbor as yourself is another way of saying you treat strangers like, they're, like you do your own family. Like when someone is uh, when someone is passing through or someone or whatever, like they get the same treatment that your own kids get. Okay, um, so that's way more intense. But the second commandment is not distinct from the first commandment. It's actually just an extension of the first one. And so if we pull them all, if we pull them together, and not think of them as two things, but really just like one one big idea 
Jesus is saying every one of the laws points toward this one thing, is to love this one God with your whole life, and you'll start loving strangers like they're part of your family. Because you'll start to love what he loves. That's the thing about love. When you love someone, you spend all this time with someone and all this, suddenly you start to love the things that they love, right? It happens. That's why like, I know a lot of husbands that watch like, The Bachelor. Don't you? I know. That's why there are a lot of wives that will watch football games now. That's part of what you do is there's this common interest. There's like, how do we spend this time together? And you start to love what they love. And, and you can, whenever couples start to like date and spend lots of time together and you start to notice they use the same phrases. You're like, I know where you got that from. So that's that's kind, of, kind of what we do. When you love someone, you also start to love what they love. And so all of this is pointing toward this idea of we love God with our whole lives and we start to love what he loves, which is the people made in his image which is your neighbor. That's, your neighbor is the person you're sitting next to. It's also the person that you, the people that live around you. It's also people that work around you. It's really whoever's in close proximity to you at any given moment. So, he says, you want to, you want to know the summary of the law? That's, that's what it is. So, everything else on Tuesday, every time that Jesus has answered something, it's been met with great dis- distress. Uh, let's look at how the scribe reacts to what Jesus says. Verse 32. The scribe says to him, um, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, he just added something in there. Did you catch it? He, he summarizes what Jesus says about loving God and loving neighbor. He's like, agrees. That's a, he says, look at the end of verse 33. He says, yes, those things are much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus didn't say that part. The scribe said that. The, the scribe has picked up on something They're standing in the temple, and it's Tuesday of Passover week. People everywhere buying and selling sacrificial animals for Passover. Jesus, at one point, had, dis- you know, had disrupted the, the rhythm of all that stuff. Like that's what's going on. There's all this tension that's there because Jesus is is trying to sh- to show them, like, hey, you have structured your whole life and your all your entire life incorrectly. And this scribe picks up on it, and he's like, oh. Loving God is more, it's more than these burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like it's, it's more than what is going on in this temple mount at the time. There's more happening here. And see the religious leaders, they, they wanted the temple to be the focal point. They had created a system where the temple was the focal point. That gave them power, it gave them control. And here's Jesus coming in and disrupting it and saying, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Remember that sermon, maybe? So you're, you're getting this all wrong. And this scribe comes in and he agrees with them. And he's like, okay, I see what you're saying. 
This is where the tension comes in. Jesus hasn't said anything controversial yet. Now it's the scribe. He's the one that starts to agree with him. Says we we've been getting this wrong. And that's a pattern that we we have to grab onto as we're studying through this, the scriptures here, is that the temple had become the focal point. The temple was supposed to point people to God, and yet that had become the focus. The burnt offerings and sacrifices were supposed to be expressions of love, but they had become the focal point themselves. It's another one of those patterns that we see of, of focus on, the, on creation instead of the creator, of, of the gift instead of the giver. Uh, that's, that's, that's what idolatry does is it takes the focus off of God and puts it onto something tangible. And that's the real, that's the real pattern that we have to, to look at here is, is the fact that these tangible things like burnt offerings and sacrifices, it's so much easier because across the board as humans, we would much rather deal with rules than we would relationships because rules are super easy compared to relationships. Rules are just like, okay, this is, this is what the law is. I either obey it or I disobey it. And I know that's like in our day and age, there's a lot of controversy and interpretation and all that kind of stuff. So just put that aside for a second. Let's just be real like basic rules around, the, rules around your house, rules around your school growing up, like those kind of things. Like you're, this is what the rule is. You either obey it or you disobey it. That's an easy to navigate system. And it uh, puts you in control of things, you know? So if you, let's say that you broke the rule, let's say that you were speeding in the school zone uh, and the cop gave you the ticket, you're like, well, uh, I, I, I broke the rule, I have to pay the fine and do the court thing and all that stuff. Like, we could comprehend that. I broke the law, I gotta pay the consequences. Or... Maybe you're like, I've never, I've never gotten a ticket and never been in an accident and my insurance company rewards me because I have Allstate or whatever it might be. Uh, maybe that's the way we go. But we understand reward and we understand punishment because we understand rules. And it puts us in control. That's why we get so mad when things happen to us and we are out of control. That's where anger comes from. It's like something happens and you weren't able to control it. But that's a much better system when compared to relationships. Because relationships are really hard. Relationships take time, you know, and patience, and grace, and give and take, you know. It's much easier if you just know the rules. There's this, this uh, there's a scene in, those, in the movie called The Breakup. Remember that movie with Vince Vaughn and... Uh, Jennifer Aniston, and they're having this fight, and uh, spoiler alert, they break up, and they're having this fight, and it's about doing the dishes, and he's like, you want me to do the dishes? Fine, I'll do the dishes. And she's like, no, I want you to want to do the dishes. And he's like, why would I want to do dishes? That doesn't make any sense. Like, how, and how many times have you found yourself, especially all you married couples, in that situation where one of you says to the other one, just tell me what to do, tell me what to say, I'll do it, I'll say it, whatever. Like, you show me what the rules are, you know? Show me what the boundaries are here. I don't know how to navigate this relational like minefield, but I know how to like d- disobey or obey. You know, we all we're going to want those rules because they're just they're easier, but it doesn't mean that they're better. Relationships are hard. They're hard enough with your family and your friends, 
Much less when you look at this commandment to love your neighbor. Like, what about your really difficult neighbor? <laughs> what about the people in close proximity to you that drive you crazy? What about the, the ones who they think super differently than you do? They behave super differently than you do. They vote really differently than you do. They're just, there's just something there. How, how am I supposed to love, love my neighbor in that regard? It's hard. And then when you go, when you look at commandment one, how are you supposed to love a God that you've not seen? That you've not hugged, that you've not, you, you can't read his facial expressions or hear the tone in his voice. Like how, how in the world is that supposed to happen? Relationships are hard. Rules are much easier. The, the guys running the temple, they had, they had gravitated toward that because it's much easier to control people and to control yourself when you're just trying to keep a bunch of rules. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's not who my people are. We're relational because God is relational. But the reason why rules seem easy and relationships seem hard is because we've been trained in the wrong kingdom. We've been told that love looks a certain way and then we try to project that onto God and we don't really know how to do it. And that's why Jesus responds to the scribe the way that he does. Look at, look at his response to him in verse 34. Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. See, that, that like subtly tells us how Jesus viewed what he came here to do. Been trained in the wrong kingdom Jesus says, I've come to bring a new kingdom. I've come to train you in a new way of living. That's why he, when he quotes the Shema, he, he quotes the most famous and known prayer in all of Judaism. Not to say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, he's not saying I'm doing this new thing. He said, I'm actually come to, to take this prayer that you pray every single day and I'm here to make it possible for you. I'm here to bring that prayer within reach. You're not far from the kingdom of God. He sees the humility and the teachability of this scribe, and he says, "Oh man, you're you're close. You are. Ex- that's exactly what I've come here to do: is to free you from projecting all those earthly ideas of what love looks like, and to train you in a in a new way of life. You're not far from the kingdom." I also wondered this week if when he says you're not far from the kingdom, if he's also thinking in linear time. Because it's Tuesday. And does Jesus somehow, through the intuition of the Spirit, know, knowing the, knowing the timeline of the Passover, does he know, well, it's Tuesday. On Thursday night, I'm going to be arrested. And on Friday, I'm going to be killed. And on Sunday, I'm going to rise from the dead. Maybe that's also what he means when he says, you're not far. Like you're not far in heart because of your humility. Uh, You're also not far in time because that whole new kingdom is about to become real for you. This prayer that you pray every morning and every night that has been so far beyond your grasp is now going to be made a real possibility for you. You're not far. You're not far. 
that that's what Jesus has come to do for us. Look at the end of verse 34. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And I, and I, I can't help but wonder if that's because he had like, over and over and over again, he had been deconstructing this idolatry of the temple and this following of the rules and reconstructing what it means to truly be the people of God. If he had done that so much that finally everyone listening, they had finally looked in the mirror enough times. Maybe they started to get it or maybe they just had enough and were like, we got to kill this dude. We're, this just isn't a good tactic. You know, who knows? But they quit questioning him. And that pattern of Jesus deconstructing and reconstructing, what a beautiful rhythm of ministry that Jesus brings to the table. Like that's what he's constantly doing. He says, you've been taught this, but what I've come to teach you is this. You've been trained in this kingdom to think this way, but I've come to tell you the truth. And the truth will bring freedom to your life. You've been taught that your whole life is about just trying to be a good person, be ethically above board, be really moral, be a good citizen. And I'm here to tell you that your entire being, you were created 100% for all of the sum of those parts to be channeled into love. To love God and to love what God loves, which is his people. And to see all of those other things as expressions of love. So the burnt offerings and sacrifices that they were told to do, uh, those were expressions of love for us as we are, as we're like walking in obedience. Obedience is the love language of God. Like that's, that's how we are showing him that we love him. We sing to him. We pray to him. We, we study the words that he has given us. We, um, we love one another. We serve creation. We serve his sons and daughters. We, like, we do all of these things not as the focal point, but those are just ex- all expressions of the love that we have for our God. And as we do those things, the love deepens for him and for others and and it's just this incredibly beautiful pattern that unfolds in our lives as we are walking. It, it's a way of life. It's not a um, we're, it's not a set of rules that we are trying to adopt or exchange for another set of rules. It's it's a way of living, and Jesus invites us into it. And if you've never accepted like the like with Jesus saying like hey come into this way of life if you've never said yes to that then today could be the day that you say yes to that. There's no better day than today. The weather's nice. We're all here. Like it's great. Like what what are you waiting for? And I don't want you to leave with like wondering that. We don't do a, a very traditional like invitation time here. A lot of times it's like, hey, you spend time with the Lord and when we're done, just hang around and let's talk. Wanting that to be a relational thing. Um, and so that invitation is to you, like hang around. We're not in a hurry to get out of here um, once we're dismissed. But I couldn't help but think this week as I was studying, let me just kind of like try to land, try to land the plane here in an organized way. Um, the point of, like, uh, like, okay, so God created um, 
he called this people out for himself in Israel. And he put them in, uh, in a really strategic place on the map. All of the trade routes, like people pass through Israel, going here and there and all this stuff. So you constantly had people from polytheistic cultures coming into this monotheistic like zone. Um, and their goal is to love God and to love the stranger. Now think about you're polytheistic, you're whatever. Everywhere you go, that's what you see. You travel in, like, man, it's just weird people. They have one God. And every time we go, they're so nice to us. Everywhere else we go, they try to kill us or rob us. But we go here and they're like, hey, come on in. Have, have some, uh, I don't know, hummus. I don't know. I'm not sure what they eat. <laughs> when I went to Israel, we had hummus. There you go. Okay. They're like, come on in. Do you need a place to stay? How's your journey? Stay, you know, that kind of thing. And those people love God. I mean, they love their God. They're not afraid of him like the other places. They're not begging him and like trying to do all the right things just so he'll be happy with them. They're not like, they, like when they make a sacrifice, it's, it's love. It's not fear, you know. There's something different going on there. That's, what, that's what's supposed to, like a really brief synopsis, what's supposed to happen. Instead, it had become a place where you would pass through there, and maybe that hospitality was there was like, man, they're obsessed with this building. They love this temple. Their God lives there. And they bring animals, they have to sacrifice them. They're not thrilled about it, but they're like, oh, that's what you got to do, get forgiven, you know. They just got to do those sacrifices, make those offerings so their God is happy with them, and they go about their lives, you know, then they can go back home, keep doing whatever. Wait till the next year, log all their sins. Go knock them all out with one animal. You know? It becomes so focused on the wrong thing instead of the things that are supposed to point to the Lord. And I was thinking about that, like just like as a if, if people are passing through my life, whether that's like like close friends and family, or whether that's like my neighbors, my actual like people who live around me, or people that I work with. Um, or casual encounters here at you know at the grocery store or whatever. If people are observing my life, what what would their assessment be of what is central to my life? Like, what does my life revolve around? What's the greatest commandment to me? Like, what am I devoted to the most? If someone was just observing my life, kind of tagging along that kind of stuff, and I was to ask them, what do you think is the most important thing to me? What would they say? Because I am a part of the new Israel. Like the goal, still the goal. People are supposed to pass through my life. Some stay, some some go, that kind of thing. But they're all supposed to to have that same like orientation. I'm like, man, that, that dude loves his God. And I got really you know, challenged by that. So, like all good challenges, I bring it to you. Think about your, like your life. Like, would you be willing this week to sit down with the Lord and ask Him that? Like, if, for someone to observe my life, to be close to my life, what would they say is crucial to me? 
couldn't help but think about our families. Like parents, if we were to ask your kids, hey, what are the what are the most what are the priorities of your home? What would they tell you? They're pretty they're pretty honest. I think it's important, you know, you know, like I think that's an important thing. Because here are these religious leaders who have been getting it wrong and been leading others to get it wrong. Jesus comes in and says, hey, I'm going to deconstruct all this. Do you want me to reconstruct it? And a lot of them said no, but this dude said yes. Please, reconstruct it. Like the first song we were saying, build my life, you know? I don't, I don't want rules to follow. I want a relationship. And even if it's difficult, like let's do this. Let's re- redefine it for me. I want my life, and I bet you want your life too, to be one where that is the theme that people are saying at our funerals. So I can say a lot about her, but I'll tell you the most important thing is she loved the Lord. I'll tell you one thing about that guy. Jesus was his first love. And I find that sometimes men struggle with that, and I don't I think there's a bunch of reasons to that, but I love I love it when when we're singing worship songs and you can hear the dudes in the room singing, like I think there's something so strong. I think it's the ladies. Your vo- your voices are beautiful, but I think for men, men tend to struggle a little bit more with it, with that. But but men and women alike, it doesn't really matter. We're all the sum of our lives is supposed to be channeled into that one thing. These are the great commandments, not just for Judaism. Okay. This is a kingdom of God orientation that we want and desire and need. And if we will bring ourselves before the Lord, and we ask, if we ask Him, will you deconstruct and then reconstruct anything that has that has gotten off off from my how you built me to function? He He will do it. It may not it may not be the most fun process, but how worth it, right? For this scribe to hear Jesus say, hey, you're not far from the kingdom. I wonder if they watched him kill him on Friday. And I wonder if he was a witness to the resurrection. I wonder what happened to that scribe. You know. So, wherever this reaches into your life today, I would encourage you to be a good steward of what he is stirring. And so we're going to sing a little bit. And then we're going to pray at the end. And so however you need to be responsible with what God may be doing within you right now, I encourage you to do that. Let's stand as our musicians come back and we spend some time in one of those expressions of love uh, as we sing. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, what a, what a gift you are to us. And you, you are the embodiment of these commandments. Like we don't have to wonder what this looks like in real life because we're able to read and see in the scriptures you uh, walking in the truth of what is revealed here. And so thank you for showing us what what a healed version of us looks like. Thank you for showing us what, uh, what it looks like when the acorn becomes the oak. Um, and Jesus, thank you for taking this prayer and for bringing it into our reach because of your life and death and resurrection. And so, Lord, in these moments as we sing, 
Would you help us to do so in, in spirit and in truth? Would you help us to not worry about really anything else? Would you help us to welcome conviction or, or encouragement? Would you help us to just embrace whatever it is you want to stir in us this morning? Maybe we, may we be encouraged by the other voices in the room and just the solidarity that comes with being surrounded by fellow sons and daughters who bear your image. And so Lord, may you just have your way in this time as we respond.